0: G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember hearing me say this. Nonetheless, Paul's purpose is not to accuse the Corinthians of not having the Spirit, Okay, Paul's purpose, Paul writing this letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthian Christians there in the city of Corinth in the first century. It's a letter and yet it is part of God's Word to us today. Uh, You'll remember hearing me say this, nonetheless, Paul's purpose is not to accuse the Corinthians of not having the Spirit, but as living as if they do not have the Spirit. Do you remember hearing me say that? Um, are the Corinthians, the, the Christians in Corinth at least, are they spiritual people? Are you, I believers in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, do you, are you spiritual? Do you have spiritual lives um, regardless of your personality or interests or heritage or hang-ups or um, whatever? Well, says Paul, you are Christian. Every Christian, remember from last week, You have the Spirit of God Himself active and present in your life. How do I know it? Simple, because you believe the spiritual message from God Himself, the message of the Lord Jesus, which is so counterintuitive to the world that we live in. Um, You are spiritual people in the most important uh, sense that matters. You might be a boring and bland person, that might be how you think about yourself, or you might be one of these adventurous and in-touch individuals in the world, but you've encountered the message of Jesus in nothing less than God's deep and weird and wise and wonderful plan for this entire globe that has taken hold of your life. You're a spiritual person. But, chapter 3, verse 1, brothers and sisters in Corinth, I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly mere infants in Christ, or as we heard it last week, Paul's purpose is not to accuse the Corinthians of not having the Spirit, but as living as if they do not have the Spirit. Can't really address you as spiritual people, O Corinthians. Can we please pray as we come to 1 Corinthians 3 together? Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, in our lives uh, through the week, we are pulled in a thousand different directions by work and by family Uh, by illness sometimes, or at least the pursuit of health, Um, even by good things, plans and joys and celebrations. It can be hard to catch our breath. It can be hard to have a sense of what's really at the centre of our lives, of what's permanent and what matters, of what the spiritual life is supposed to look like. In our busyness, we do find ourselves adrift so very often, yet in Your Word, Father, we hear of You or of our Lord Jesus, or of His Gospel message, with images of such permanence and dependability and stability, our rock, an anchor for our souls, a fortress, a cornerstone, a shelter, our refuge. O Lord, our God, would you please speak to our souls this morning, good words stabilising words, nourishing words that we need to hear and that we need to live in the midst of a world that, yes, sometimes does make it hard to live the spiritual life. Father, as we read Paul's words to the Corinthian church, may we hear your word to our church this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, brothers and sisters this morning, friends and guests, uh, whatever your story, I'm going to risk a kind of Graphic, maybe kind of weird, definitely very icky um, story by way of introduction. Um, So there's there's your fair warning. Uh, It comes from a minister um, who tells this story from his family life, just from you know him and his kids uh, when they were very very young. And then he applies it to the church in Corinth and it helps us find our way into 1 Corinthians 3. He's a North American, I don't think that matters, we can can overlook that. Um, uh, Listen along to this story from this minister. He says, when my daughter was born, my wife found herself unable to nurse our infant. That gave me the privilege of sharing the midnight feedings. Tiffany was a dream, I could zap the formula in the microwave change her, feed her the whole eight ounces and tuck her back into her crib, all in under 20 minutes. Then our son came along. Midnight feedings with him were horrendous. Although he had an enormous appetite, he sucked and drank with only three speeds, slow, dead slow and stop. Worse, he had to be burped every ounce or so, a painfully slow process, Or he would display his remarkable gift for projectile vomiting. I've told you it was icky, okay? Without any warning, he could upchuck what he had taken in and send it 15 feet across the room. If there were an Olympic event in projectile vomiting, he would have taken out one of the medals. I never got him back into his crib in in under an hour, an hour and a half was more common and now he comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, At least he, that is my son, at least he had an excuse. He was young and his digestive system was obviously not as well developed as his sisters at the same age. Best of all, he quickly outgrew this stage but there are Christians who are international class projectile vomiters, spiritually speaking, after years and years of life. They simply cannot digest what Paul calls solid food. You must give them milk, for they're not ready for anything more. And if you try to give them anything other than milk, then they up-chuck and make a mess of everyone and everything around them. At some point, the number of years they've been a Christian leads you to expect something like mature behaviour from them, but they prove disappointing. They're infants still and display their wretched immaturity even in the way that they complain if you give them more than milk. Not for them solid knowledge of Scripture, not for them mature theological reflection, not for them growing and perceptive Christian thought They want nothing more than another round of choruses and a simple message, something that won't challenge them to think, to examine their lives, to make choices and to grow in their knowledge and adoration of the living God. Would you please take another look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Uh, and please hear me. This is not my diagnosis of you, Good News Christian Church, this morning. Okay, but I just I need to air that from the beginning. This is not, this is Paul's diagnosis of the Corinthian church. This is not my diagnosis of you, brothers and sisters. And yet I reckon there are lessons for us to learn in this. I really do. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. How would you summarise that? I think it's that spiritual immaturity is a disease that doesn't just strike the young. Spiritual immaturity, spiritual immaturity is a disease that doesn't just strike the young. Is that a fair summary? So, back back when Paul was in Corinth, sure, I gave you milk, not solid food, you weren't ready for it, that's fine. They were babies in Christ, so to speak. They'd only just become Christians as Paul brought the Gospel to Corinth. That's fine, no judgment there but here is the kicker, you are, what's the word there in verse 2? Still not ready. Years on now, four or five years after after his visit. Folks, nine days ago, um, a dear friend of mine was pulled aside by his son's paediatrician and um, he and his wife were told that their five-year-old son, their eldest little boy, um, wonderful little kid, has leukaemia, just five years old. Leukaemia, that is an old person's disease, isn't it? That's the way I think about it. That is an old person's disease, it's not a five-year-old's disease. Swing that around the other way, spiritual immaturity... Yep, you can be years in the faith and still be beset by spiritual immaturity. Yep, that maybe your grey hairs or the wrinkles or whatever it is, might lead people to believe otherwise. Spiritual immaturity is not just a young person's disease, spiritual immaturity loves leaders more than Jesus. Now, in their case, how did it look? Verse 3, you're still worldly, says Paul. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrels amongst you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Now, what I'd like to do um, here, brothers and sisters, this morning is as we approach this text, is not to be asking ourselves, are we as bad as the Corinthians? Uh, primarily comparing ourselves to another group of Christians. Not so much, um, are we better than them? Uh, Again, primarily comparing ourselves to another bunch of Christians. Am I making their mistakes? I mean, put your hand up if anyone wants to be um, called a spiritual baby. (laughs) We, We don't. Can we approach it like this? If we are to go on to maturity and if we're to be a church of people that fosters and nurtures maturity amongst us, then what are the warning signs that we need to heed, that we can see in the life of the Corinthians, and what are the new ways that we need to pursue together? Is that going to be a more helpful approach for us, just in terms of what we can lead, what we can draw from this passage and draw out from it? The issue here in Corinth, the warning sign for them, it's as plain as day, spiritual infants make a bigger deal of their leaders than they do of Jesus. That was what they were doing in their jealousy and their quarrelling. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. We'll, we'll, we'll hear Paul's prescription for them in a moment. My hunch is though that we today, am I right in saying this? I don't think we tend to venerate our pastors in the same way that they kind of did in their context. Is that fair to say? I don't, or our former pastors. I don't think we tend to do that. So I was sort of racking my brain in terms of how this kind of thing could manifest itself. And I don't know, see what you make of this. I wonder if sometimes, especially amongst the older ones uh, amongst us and in in our denomination, do we sometimes love our heritage, our Reformed heritage, even more than we love the Gospel that our Reformed heritage stands for? Is that maybe a, a parallel for us? Even more uh, than the gospel that our Reformed heritage has stood for and the original reason that we loved it so much in the first place. Maybe that's worth keeping in mind. Anyway, here's Paul's prescription for the Corinthians from verse 4. Would you read there with me, please? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? I'll just pause there for a minute. What answer do you reckon he was expecting? Or the Corinthians might have been expecting to that question? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? So, it's, you're acting like mere men, what are Apollos and Paul? Well, sure, they're preachers, they're apostles, or uh, Paul's an apostle at least, but hello, they're just men. You're acting like mere men, you're all mere men, and, and yet, what are Apollos and Paul? They're just men too. We're all on the same page here. Isn't that the kind of answer that you'd expect? Now, keep in mind that, keep in mind how much the Corinthians loved the idea of having a name and being seen and being impressive, and they wanted their preachers to be the kind of God, the envy of the watching world around them. Like us, it kind of hurt them to look like dorks in the eyes of the watching world. They wanted cred, they wanted King Jesus, you might remember. Not so much crucified Jesus. Are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only, what's the word there? Servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each his task. Servants. Did you hear that? Manu- Gardeners, actually just gardeners. Is that kingly enough for you, O Corinthians? Well, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And just by the way, with that last verse, a little aside here, we're God's fellow workers. On my reading, that is saying, well, it's not saying, oh wow, we get to work alongside God. Look, there's me and there's Apollos and there's some other ministers there and look, just along the road there, there's God. We're all sort of lined up here, working together in His field, His building. No, no, no. uh, Rather, and I think in keeping with the rest of the paragraph, isn't it saying, me and Apollos, well, we're We are both just workers who each belong to God. We are fellow workers belonging to our God. God says go and we go. God says plant and so we plant. We're His workers. And you've got to get that through your heads, Corinthians. Just servants. Is that a bit of a blow to your pride? Now, for us, brothers and sisters, uh, this morning, as I said, I'm not sure that our problems are quite the same as the Corinthian problems, but yet, are we still at risk of thinking ourselves more mature than we actually are, of jealously lining up behind, I don't know, it could be our favourite preacher, it could be our favourite author or um, uh, our our denomination, because our way is the best way, certainly better than the bunch down the road. Are we at risk of losing the perspective that says, you know what, we're in the business of building God's kingdom and I'm not so worried about the particular servants? One super quick illustration here, Summerlees Church, so our sister church down at Kingston, you know, where Dave Lynch is the pastor, Dave sometimes comes and preaches um, here, uh, we do a pulpit exchange from time to time. So, Summerlees Church they're in the process of planning a church in Sandy Bay. We've prayed about it from time to time, we'll continue to do that. They're planning to open the doors in about 2020, so they've got a nice long lead time. Now, I don't have a crystal ball on this in that I can't see the future, but here's a challenge that I can see coming for those guys. The man that they found to lead the work, um, and I hope you've heard this, is my brother-in-law, Luke Hansard, so that's Katie's brother, Luke, Um, And what you may not know about Luke is he's an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church of Australia. So, he's a a reverend, he's a minister. Um, We know Luke as the focus guy, the international student ministry guy, but there he is, reverend, ordained in a different denomination. Now, here's the rub. When they plant that church with all of the effort and the money, and some of the wonderful people, no doubt, from Summerlee's church who are then going to go and join that church, and all of the time and prayer, which denomination do we expect that church to become? It was Summerlee's idea to plant the thing, and they're a reformed church like we are. Now, like I say, I can't see the future, I don't have a crystal ball on this stuff. Uh, could we rejoice to see a Presbyterian church planted in Sandy Bay? safe in the knowledge that it's part of God's kingdom and we're just servants? Or would we secretly wish that it was reformed? Now, that's for some of these to answer, isn't it? Um, in, in a sense, that's their own spiritual battle and I'm, I'm confident that in the Lord they'll go well with that. I guess I wonder, how about us? You know, if we sent some of our very best and brightest, most wonderful people here on a Sunday morning, spent heaps of our cash reserve and started a ministry that in time became, I don't know what. Anglican or Presbyterian or Baptist or, you know, had the Gospel but a different label, could we rejoice in that? Well, praise God, God gives the growth, doesn't matter about the servant. Now, perhaps that seems all a little bit abstract and far off and that's not quite our problem, the thing that we're facing right at the moment. Well, this next stuff, this next paragraph, whoo, it's very much uh, the practical, the rubber hits the road. This is how do we see our role at Sunday school. This is how do you see your place as a grandparent. This is what, con- what contribution are we making to the Bible studies that we are part of week by week. In fact, why do we even have them? Let's go. Spiritual maturity takes care to build on Christ. Come with me to verse 10, would you please? Verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, this is Paul speaking about his ministry amongst the the Corinthians, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Here's the question for us, I reckon, looking at ourselves as people who play a part together in building God's kingdom in the world play a part together in building one another towards maturity, how can I, brothers and sisters, contribute to your life with the the gold, silver and precious stones rather than the wood, hay and straw? How can you, brother and sister, contribute to my life with gold, silver, precious stone instead of wood, hay and straw? How How can we contribute to one another's lives towards spiritual maturity? Now, just expand that out a little bit How can we contribute to the spiritual maturity of our grandkids or our Sunday school class or the young guys at youth night, young guys and girls at youth night or our peers in our Bible study or our ministry leaders on Sunday afternoon, uh, just to one another here after the service on Sunday mornings, how can we contribute with gold, silver and precious stones instead of wood, hay and straw? What are the materials that I'm building with? To prepare God's people for the scrutiny of the Lord Jesus um, at His return. Now, please hear me loud and clear. These verses, loud and clear. These verses. Um, Paul's not talking about people going to hell here, is he? That's not what he's got on view. Um, these people have the gospel. Their foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ, which has already been laid. These aren't the fires of eternal judgment um, that they need to fear. No, this is just the question of have you wasted your life in terms of your time and energy when you could have done so much more. Did your grandson just learn to fish from you or did he learn to keep the faith in Jesus even when grandma got sick? I want you to teach your grandson to fish. In fact, that's probably going to be the occasion, isn't it, when you get to talk about grandma and the faith and those things. What I'm saying is, please don't leave the big stuff unsaid, will you? Don't leave the precious stones of the faith rattling around in the bottom of the tackle box. On another front, if you lead Sunday school or perhaps a Bible study or youth night, you contribute to that one way or another, um, uh, regularly or not so regularly, family devotions at home, dads or mums. Do our devotions build on the foundation that's Christ? build towards maturity, nurture this field of God, this child in the faith, at whatever stage they're at, onward toward being the young man or woman that God intends them to be. Now, as a parent, yes, but as a ministry leader, this, it weighs on me from time to time, are the 12-year-olds in our church right now, you, you know, you can see them out through the glass there, are the 12-year-olds equipped by us to enter the circus that is high school? with boyfriends and jealousy and body image and sex and drugs and rock and roll? Are the 16, 17, 18-year-olds amongst our church matured under our care in the Lord to enter the meat mincer of young lives that is university? Now, I love university, don't get me wrong. But let's not pretend that you don't need serious maturity to thrive in your faith there. Or are the young ones... Bored by our lessons, confused as to why we seem to get so excited about it all, and lacking in any vibrant sense of Christ's relevance and presence in the cut and thrust of life. Weighs on me from time to time. They've got the foundation. What about the building? Gold, silver, and precious stones that are going to last. Now, Paul has a stern warning, um, uh, of course, in case there's anyone who starts just ripping up, you know, weighing in with a jackhammer to the actual foundation itself, verse 16, and then he concludes with this call for calm and for confidence in the Lord, and I want to read that to you um, in just a moment. Um, But before I do that, can I just remind us of this, because I know that for many of us, our life's work has been in the building industry, you know, and this is one of these passages where you get to talk about building, you have to talk about constructing something as you've spent much of your life doing, or dad has, or brothers have, or uncles continue to. And I wonder if this helps us to kind of get what Paul is, is driving at here. Can I share this with you um, in a sense of uh, the contrast between modern building practice and uh, what I imagine Paul is actually plugging into? He says, uh, uh, this one commentator says, the analogy of Christian leaders working on a major building project is especially appropriate to Paul's argument. Unlike the field where one worker could conceivably do all the work from planting to harvest, all right? If you've got a garden at home, you're the one doing the whole lot. Unlike that analogy, great buildings in the ancient world, and up until the Industrial Revolution, took many years to build, even decades, in fact, that's an understatement, centuries in the case of medieval Europe. Herod's Temple in Jerusalem at the time of Paul was a work of tens of thousands of workers and took over 70 years to build. The same goes for the great cathedrals of Europe built in the Middle Ages. Workers, get this, could move on, retire or die before the building was completed. My point here is just to say, brothers and sisters, we are involved in something grand as we seek to build people toward maturity in the faith. We are involved in something really grand. It's nothing less than the plan of God for our world and that includes our kids, it includes our grandkids, it includes those extra kind of grandkids that we kind of, you know, take under our wing um, and share in and, and the teaching roles that we play here at church. We are involved in the spiritual maturing of people building on the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which they and we are saved forever, looking toward His return. We are involved in something so grand, but let's not mistake ourselves as being overly grand. No, we belong to something grand, we are building something grand, but it belongs to God and we're a small part of it. So first the warning and then that call to calm and confidence and then we'll pray. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, verse 16, and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Do not, be, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Kephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Let's pray together, brothers and sisters. Well, Father in heaven, O Lord God of heaven and earth, in a world where so often our our sense of worth and what is valuable and precious and lasting and important, in a world where so often that stuff is defined in terms of, you know, our body's fitness or our brain's alertness or our bank account's swollenness, we confess that too often we've adopted those values and priorities and given ourselves to those pursuits. Lord God, grant us, please, the calm, confidence to see our life's work from the standing point of that day, the day of Christ's return. We call on Christ crucified as our Saviour and Lord and on that foundation we will ever stand firm. What a comfort that is, Father, especially when we carry grief or a sense of guilt and sorrow for all the opportunities that we've had but wasted. Lord, we are not saved by the quality of our workmanship. We are saved by the quality of Christ's work, and that foundation is firm. What a relief that is. Father, energize us, please, to use our gifts and our abilities, not into making everyone see how mature we are, but into contributing to the maturity, the growth, yes, the architectural beauty of Your grand design, a people ready to live for Jesus in the seasons of life that await us. Father, as the worries and the fears creep back in or perhaps wash over us, remind our hearts, please, that nothing in all this world, not even life and death, what we're going through now or what the future holds, none of it, we need ultimately fear, for You love Your Church, You build Your Church and we are your church, and that by your grace. Amen.